2: Between the Links. And now, your host,
0: Mike Heck!
1: The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links here on MMAFighting.com. I am Mike Heck. Thank you for checking out the show. A little bit of a different show as we prepare for the BTL Championship Tournament, which kicks off next week, November 4th, two days before UFC 268, the UFC's return to New York, the UFC's return to Madison Square Garden. What a card that is going to be. And it's going to go on until the week after UFC 269, which will be the final pay per view event of the year for the UFC. That goes down on December 11th. So we have eight competitors. And just to let you guys know, we're not going to have a, a matchup. We're not going to do a real round table like we did last week. We're just going to tag in Jed Mishu. He's going to come on. He's going to talk about the big news going on in the world of MMA. We're just going to hit record and shoot the breeze. We're going to talk about the fallout from UFC Vegas 41. More specifically, the main event between Marvin Vittori and Paulo Costa. All the shenanigans that happened during the week. It becoming a, a light heavyweight fight where Costa goes, where Vittori goes. We're gonna talk about the PFL. Their championship card was on Wednesday night. It was a good event. It seems like it took three months for one fight card. I mean, it just took forever. The pacing of those cards are horrible. They're so bad. So they gotta fix that. And there's some other things that, that can be fixed to make it just different, fun, unique. And I'm excited for that. Jed's got some great ideas. He talked about it on Twitter and I think if we put our heads together, we can we can help the PFL out. So we'll talk about that. And, of course, we got UFC 267 coming up in Abu Dhabi on Saturday. So we'll take a look at that card, especially the two title fights, main event Jan Blachowicz versus Glover Teixeira for the light heavyweight championship. And then the interim bantamweight title will be awarded to the winner of Piotr Jan versus Corey Sandhagen. That is the co-main event. What a great fight that is going to be. And... Just make sure you follow us along, MMAFighting.com, on our YouTube page for everything going on in regards to UFC 267. Jose Young's out there grinding away, doing a great job. So back to the tournament, which kicks off next Thursday. We have drafted the brackets. We have our first-round matchups. We have our dates. We have them ready to go. So without further ado, let's reveal them. November 4th, next Thursday. Two days before UFC 268. What a matchup it's going to be. One of the MMA Fighting staff members will be out of the tournament. Will be out of it altogether. Damon Martin, who has been on a tear as of late, is going to take on my best friend, the Prince of Positivity, Mr. Alex K. Lee. One of those men will be out of the tournament on day one. And that's a low-key banger. That's a low-key banger of a matchup. November 11th, the week after UFC 268, Jose Youngs from MMAfighting.com returns from a grueling couple of weeks on the road to take on Phoenix Carnivale, a person many believe is the greatest to ever appear on the show. Even though she hasn't had a ton of appearances, she is undefeated. She went through the BTL gauntlet and knocked out everybody. What a matchup that's going to be. That's November 11th. November 18th, Jed Mishu will take on Alex Wendling. That should be a nice matchup. Two members of the BTL50 gauntlet. Alex has been on the show a couple times. Jed is the winningest player in the history of the the game. That's November 18th. And then Thanksgiving week, not sure what the date is going to be on that because we're not going to do a show on Thanksgiving, obviously. A rematch from, I believe, the second or third episode of We've ever we've done in this iteration. James Lynch, freelance journalist, the guys all over the place is gonna take on Kristen King, who you know from Buddy Elbow, Miami News, and other sites like that. So those are the first round matchups. The winner of Damon and AK will take on the winner of Jose and Phoenix, and the winner of Jed and Alex will take on the winner of James and Kristen. So should be a fun tournament. I wish we could do something a little more dramatic in terms of how we drew the brackets, but it is what it is. Busy time in the sport, busy week, and maybe we'll create some sort of like fun bracket graphic for you guys to look at on social media. So there you go. Those are the first round matchups. Tournament starts next week. Looking forward to getting the show back to normal and uh, we will figure out whether or not we're going to get back on the video screen. That's what we're hoping for. Do some live shows via the magic of YouTube. So stay tuned for more on that but right now we're going to take a short break when we come back we're going to bring in jed mishu we're going to talk about all the big stories going on in the world of mixed martial arts right here on a very interesting and different episode of between the
0: links
1: special is the right word but a very interesting addition of between the links because this has nothing to do with what the show has been made to do we are basically just previewing and setting up this tournament that starts next week we have already revealed the opening round matchups the dates of those matchups and one of the names that we mentioned already is joining us right now this is the second the second version of Jed Talks here on BTL. Just wanted to have him on, talk about the news. we got a lot going on in the world of MMA. As Jed Mishu, and this is breaking news to him, he will return to the BTL Arena on Thursday, November 18th, and he's going to take on Alex Wendling, who is a, a member of the BTL 50 Gauntlet. So, random draw, that's who you're getting, Jed. How do you feel about this?
3: You know, I, I was about to say while you were doing this that we we. Did. We announced the first round. I was like, I must have missed that, because I don't remember that that being announced. But good to know. Uh, I like Alex. Um, I'm getting a real soft serve to start things off here. Not a lot of (laughs) BTL experience from Alex, and I am among the most experienced competitors in this show. Uh, I don't like that it's going to be a long time until I talk to you again, Mike. I mean, that's two, three weeks until I get to kind of establish dominance, but... You know that's that's what this tournament's all about. I get a lot of time to rest up, heal some injuries. You know, get neck surgery and uh, and go forward.
1: Well, so I might as well reveal to you the rest of the matchups. So next week it's going to kick off some MMA fighting on MMA fighting crime as the random generator produced. Damon Martin against AK is the opening matchup Ooh. of the tournament. That's a that's a barn burner right off the bat. AK has been getting better and better, the more appearances AK he has. Is,
3: he's on a on a hot streak. Right now, and you know, Damon's been been spicing it up lately too. You know, it was on with him a couple last week or two weeks ago. The time is a flat circle at this point, but <laughs> yeah, they're uh, they're that that's that's a low key banger, low key banger of the first round right there.
1: The final first round matchup, and this is probably going to be the most interesting to you because you will take on the winner of this matchup, a rematch, a rematch from one of the first episodes ever. I think before you were even on the show. James Lynch versus Kristen King is. You will get the winner of that matchup.
3: I I love that you just said I'll get the winner of that matchup as if you oh, have no chance. To I didn't mean me. to do that. That is spectacular. <laughs> We've already just put me through to the next round. <laughs> love that energy, Mike. That's the energy I'm taking into this tournament and into 2022, frankly.
1: And then uh, the winner of Damon versus AK will take on the winner of. Probably the matchup that's going to be circled on everybody's little bingo card. Jose Young's taking on the GOAT, Phoenix Carnivale, on November 11th. That's
3: your main event right there. That is the one that's selling the pay-per-view tickets for sure.
1: I would agree. Speaking of pay-per-views, we'll talk about UFC 267. It's kind of a pay-per-view, not here for us folks in the United States, but around the world. It is still a pay-per-view for our friend AK and others and such. But we're coming off UFC Vegas 41. We talked a lot about this whole Paulo Costa, Marvin Vittori situation. And when we spoke and when we talked about this whole thing, we were talking about a 195 pound fight. By the time we stopped record and posted the episode, it became a 205 pound fight, a light heavyweight match between these two guys. It was tomfoolery. We crapped all over it, as did everybody else. But then, Jed, something strange happens. These two guys go out, and they have a classic. They have a 25-minute banger, and we talk about this all the time. Like Tiger Woods is an awful human being in a lot of ways. He's just done some terrible things, but winning changes everything. Tiger is horrible. People crap on him, but he comes back, and he's, he's competitive on a Sunday, wins a tournament. Everybody forgets about all the awful things that he did in the past. With this Paulo Costa situation, fight sports, winning changes things, but a banger of a fight also changes things in people's minds. How does how do you view Paulo Costa now? Do we, have you seen people sort of forgive him for this whole weight class shenanigan stuff, or do you still kind of have a a little bit of a rough spot for Mr. Costa?
3: So I will always have a rough spot for him because I just don't really like him very much, and that's not going to change regardless of how good or not good he is as a fighter. I gained a lot of respect for him as a fighter because we talked last week. Uh, I was pretty clear that I actually think Paul Costa is not very good. Um, and I still kind of stand by that, frankly. Um, I think that he is large and he clearly likes fighting. and, and those, But that's not the same as being good. Um, and incidentally, actually, Marvin Vittori really impressed me. And I now think he's a good fighter. I mostly thought he was competent. I don't think he's good. But kind of coming out of that, I haven't seen a lot of people be like, oh yeah, forgive and forget for Costa. Most of them have just kind of said, yeah, the fight was really cool and Costa can be a 205 now, which I don't think is quite the same thing as sort of, you know, hand waving away the weight cutting shenanigans. But I think to some extent, yeah, everybody, the story stopped being as much about the weight cut and all the things beforehand, because then the story just became, wow, that was, you know, one of the better fights of the year. Um, and Costa certainly performed well in it. I I think he clearly lost. I don't think anyone should have given him a round or not a round, but a scorecard. Um, but you know, I thought he was dead after the first eight minutes and then he managed to make it, not just make it, but win rounds after that. So good performance from him overall, but I mean, bad performance from him overall too, because of the weight cutting shenanigans and the fact that. I, it does seem like he is going to be forced to be a 205 or moving forward, which I'm not sure is great for him, but I guess we're going to find out.
1: So what do we do with him at 205? Because a lot of people are throwing out all these suggestions. I, I saw some like really high-ranked competition being thrown out for Paulo Costa, which I don't think he deserves at all. I think he gotta, he's got he got to pay for his sins a little bit. 20% to Martin Vittori after missing an entire freaking weight class? After going up a whole weight class, 20 pounds? Like, that's, that's shenanigans. Like, I get what the UFC was doing. Again, you put yourself in a position where you're irreplaceable. I understand that. A lot of people feel like this wasn't that big of a deal because it wasn't too much pressure on the UFC. Paul Costa's job wasn't on the line. I kind of beg to differ with that whole situation. Like, if Vittori went out there and just put a whooping on him and stopped him in the second round or just 50 40 ford him, I don't think he would have come back. I think the UFC would have just been like, we're out of the Paul business, but I think that performance kind of saved his job. What do we do with him at 205? He still thinks that he can go down to 185, like, oh, if I want to do 185, I can. Dana White's like, nah, you're sticking to 205. What, what do we do with him? Do we give him a top five guy? Do we give him a name? Or do we just throw him in with a, a tough fight against an unranked guy and just see how he does?
3: I think you got to give him a name. I will quibble with you and say that I, I and I said this last week I think to him missing weight was to some extent overblown not that he wasn't going to fail to make weight because I don't think he would have made it but had he not had the UFC not said yeah you're not going to do this like we've seen fighters cut 25 pounds you know in the span of a couple of days Chris Weidman once did that famously for a short notice fight against Demian Maia. Uh, I can only assume that every fight uh, that that um, who's the lightweight, who's the most enormous man that ever lived that some people wrongly think could be lost to. Like, oh, Franca,
1: it was... is it Franca?
3: No, no, no. Uh, Glyco, damn. Gleason Tebow. Gleason Tebow. There, there we go. Yeah. It's right in the middle. Gleason Tebow clearly cut like forty pounds every every <laughs> single fight and weighed like he was like a light heavyweight fighting friggin lightweights. Uh, I think that had Costa. You know, been forced to try and make weight. He probably would have come in at like 180, you know, eight or 190. And He would have been severely drained and all that. But I don't think he would have blown weight by as much as it happened, or you know, how how it ended up because they fought at 205. I think this, what like we talked about last week, it was just kind of a slow news week, and so that dominated the storylines. But I think had. Had this been an undercard or not a main card fight, it would have just been, ah, Costa missed weight by a few pounds. What a dick. And then we would have moved on. Uh, but that being said, he's going to go up to light heavyweight. Again, I'm not certain that's a great division for him, but I think you'd throw him not into the deep end, but you give him a ranked guy right out of the gate and sort of see what's what. Because I could see either end of it. I could see Costa not being a good light heavyweight because – one of the major weapons he has in his arsenal at middleweight is he's just a huge dude. Um, And being larger than people and hitting pretty hard and being durable is that that's the building blocks to success (laughs) in fighting, frankly. And that will matter less at 205 than it currently does at 185. At the same time, uh, 205 is mostly an awful division. So by simple fact of, I, I go on this, I have this theory that, You want to be in 145 or 155, and the further away you get from those divisions, uh, the worse the fighters are, and so if you are a 145-er who can cut to 135, it's probably going to behoove you, or if you're a 155-er, as we've seen, moving up to 170, you might suddenly be Jorge Masvidal or Rafael dos Anjos and just be one of the top 10 guys in the division because it's just worse. And that translates up. So it's possible that Costa as a top 10 middleweight is actually like a top five heavyweight. Uh, And let's find out. Like, let's give him give him somebody off the rip. Like, I I saw Johnny Walker being thrown out. Uh, That fight's fun as hell. And I'd watch the shit out of it. So, like, do do that. Do anybody who just kind of wants to be big and and throw big heavy punches at each other until one of them falls down. And let's let's see what's what.
1: My pick is Iwan Kutalaba. That's the fight. Just throw those two uh, dudes in there. Rank. No, we don't need no numbers. Just get them in there and throw bombs and see what happens. Moldovian
3: Joel Edgerton? Hell yeah, let's do. Iwan Kutalaba looks like Moldovian Joel Edgerton. <laughs> I've said it for years, and I will absolutely watch him fight, you know, arguably the prettiest man in the UFC in Palacosa. It's a lot of handsome in one fight right there. I'm in.
1: That is. And look at Marvin Vittori now, the guy who... Was kind of cringy for a while, just saying silly things. But we were kind of supportive of Marvin Vittori on this show. After the second Israel Adesanya fight, he got 50-45. He still thought, speaking to Adesanya afterwards, that he won. I wanted him to ride that wave all the way to a third fight. Just keep saying for the rest of your career, I'm 2-0 against Israel Adesanya. He's since kind of backed off of that. But he's now this massive babyface. People have jumped aboard the Marvin Vittori train and... This is good for him. This is good. This is good stuff. It's nice to see some fan support. He's not the cringy 185-pounder anymore. He's the the fighter's fighter. People got a lot of respect for him now. Where does he go from here? Because he's not fighting for a title anytime soon. We got some big 85 fights coming up. Does he just kind of sit on standby and hope someone falls out and he can slide in there? Or what, what do we do now?
3: Are you sure about that? Because uh, I saw somewhere yesterday, maybe it was TMZ, that Dana White said that uh, Vittori makes sense as the backup fighter for uh, Adesanya um, Whitaker whenever that takes place, which I don't really doesn't make sense to me. But you know, maybe maybe he's fighting for a title. Maybe <laughs> something happens to one of those two, and suddenly Marvin's right back in the picture. Um, I don't know. Give him somebody else on the top. Top of the division. Uh, Because, like I said, I was actually super impressed by Vittori. I know everybody's talked about the face turn that he made, and good for him. I think he still says cringy, dumb stuff all the time, but he handled this weekend as well as anybody could have. You know, he took, he rolled with the punches. I don't care. I want to fight this dude or whatever. Uh, and then the thing that was the most impressive for me is I thought he just looked really good. Like he looked noticeably like a better fighter than I've ever given him credit for because kind of, we talked last week, I thought coming into that fight, Patoro was a better fighter than Costa, but he's pretty limited and, and, he still has limitations. He is not a big hitter and that really holds him back from being kind of a dominant force in, in the sport and certainly in the division. But uh, we saw him kind of fight through some fire. Costa had him hurt in, I think, the second round. And the way he responded to that was easily the most impressive, you know, minute and a half of Vittori's entire career to me. He didn't just kind of push forward. He didn't start throwing back. He moved at angles. He kept his head off the line, kept firing back shots to not, like, to make Costa think about stuff, and not just have free reign to work on him. and kind of kept himself he was alert even though he was hurt which is really impressive and not something I've seen a lot kind of from him before and honestly like it was outside of the fact he's also just tough as nails dude I don't know how he ate some of those body kicks from Costa because he was taking those just clean like clean body shots that would have crumpled lesser men and you just can't put that dude away and so you add on like a latent toughness with he has like some real defensive sensibilities now like he's just a way better fighter than he was 2 years ago. I, I he's still never going to beat Israel Adesanya, but like there's a there's a big range between not being better than Izzy and still being like elite and talented and coast uh is now, definitely in there. He's one of the top middleweights in the world for me and I will watch him fight anybody. Um in my mind it would make the most sense to have him face or Brunson, except for the fact that the winner of that is obviously going to fight for the title next. So maybe the loser of that, maybe that's just kind of what you have to do, because he's going to have to stack wins, especially if if, is, if Izzy keeps holding the belt. Now, if Whitaker wins the belt, maybe he's just one fight away from, from getting in there. But if Izzy holds on to the title, like I think both of us and most of the community probably expect him to do, uh, Vittori is going to have to stack wins. So go to work. Take, take on anybody who's around because I'll watch it at this point.
1: Yeah. In, in a way I kind of, I think he probably gets a loser of Brunson cannoneer If Izzy goes out and does what a lot of people expect Izzy to do, I'd like to see him fight Robert Whitaker just to see if Vittori, I'd love to see I, I think it's a great fight. And I feel like if Vittori wins that fight, I, and I feel like he could win that fight. I think his style matches up pretty well with Robert Whitaker's. Uh, he caused him some problems and Whitaker a really good fighter. And if Vittori wins, like, He'd become like the Caitlin Chukagian of 185 pounds. Like He's not fighting for a title anytime soon, but he's just going to be there knocking off everybody else that wants a shot at him. So that would be a kind of an interesting tale until there's just no other option. And Vittori finally comes out and says, why won't Adesanya fight me? I beat him twice. I beat this guy two different times, two decisions. The judges weren't on my side. Everybody says I won. Why am I not getting this fight? And I hope he rides that wave all the way, and then I will become an even bigger Marvin Vittori fan.
3: I I, st- I stand with you. I think if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly. And if you're going to be delusional, be as delusional as you can be. And just say, you know, I beat him. I beat this dude. Up. I, 10 out of 10s, I beat him. Already done it twice. Let me get my title. I would watch it. Uh, yeah, I 100% agree.
1: <laughs> so that was UFC Vegas 41. We've had a very busy week already in MMA. It is Thursday as we record. Last night, the PFL had their, their championship events. Millionaires are crowned, new champions are crowned, some champions retained, and moved on. Some very good stories. Calursa Shields lost, so that's become a big story. We had Don Madge pick up his first PFL win, so there were a lot of storylines. The problem is, Jed Mishu, these fight cards take forever. Ariel Hawani was still doing the end of the MMA hour when this card began, And it kept going and going and going. And even you said, I'm watching PFL tonight to get ready for BTL so we could talk all about it. And I let you know, get ready for one of the longest nights of your life because the pacing of these shows is so horrendously bad. And this one was really, really bad. The card was great, but the pacing is atrocious, Jed. Did you you feel everybody else's pain? Because this is just awful, especially for a championship card like this.
3: Yeah, so I I knew that the pacing wasn't going to be good, obviously, because you have six title fights. Like, there's there's a reason you don't really do that, and it's because pacing becomes really tough when you have potentially six five round fights in one one evening. That's a tough sell. Um, and yeah, it it wasn't great. Uh, I'll be honest, I did not make it to the end. Um, I watched uh, the Ray Cooper and the Kayla Harrison fights uh, this morning because i don't even know what time it was but it was late and i was tired and if you were a devoted mma fan you started watching the mma hour at 1 p.m eastern Standard time to watch those many several uh interesting interviews is the way i will qualify that because i don't want to get too into (laughs) some of the things that happened there (laughs) um you watched several interesting interviews and oddly a, a not as interesting one with mike perry which was curious And then rolled right on into actual fights. And so you were watching MMA content from 1 p.m. to, I don't know what time this thing wrapped up. I think I tapped out at like 10. So midnight? That's a lot of fighting to be absorbing. It's tough. It's a tough scene. And like, especially because some of these fights on the PFL card didn't matter. I have a lot of thoughts on PFL, um, especially after last night. And I don't know where to even begin. Uh, but I think the first place that anyone could is that they could do a better job of time management for sure. For sure. For sure.
1: Yeah. 45 minutes between fights is insane. It's just insane. Like I like Bell. If you're going to. I know you're trying to separate the prelims from the main card. I get that. Do the Bellator thing. Just call it. Just call it. Be like, all right. Join us on ESPN Plus or ESPN 2. In 45 minutes, we're going to have the main card. We don't need to do all the promotional videos for every fight you haven't had yet. It was nauseating just watching all these different things. Watching Randy, poor Randy Gator and Kenny Florian and Sean O'Call trying to, trying to save all this time and just fill slots for 45 minutes to an hour between fights. It's insane. You cannot do this, especially on a Wednesday night. You can't do this to the people. Especially at a big week like this. It's, it was absolutely, it's so ridiculous. And it was such a really, it was such a good card. There were some good fights, good finishes. For the most part, the fighters that were supposed to win won. And all in all, we should be talking about what a great event it is. In the end, we're talking about how awful the pacing was. And it felt like we were watching MMA for four days. UFC cards, the fight night cards, they can drag. This was brutal, Jed. So bad. I, I tapped out before the Clarissa Shields fight. I didn't watch the rest of the card until this
3: morning yeah it it wasn't good uh i honestly i this is just me being too deep into the mma game where the pacing was awful but it was not it's not the thing that was the most awful about the evening to me mainly because i'm just so used to it like at the minimum i'll give them credit for this they kept it to a tight 10 bouts like if you're gonna have awful pacing and take a lot of my time uh at least you only had 10 fights so there was (laughs) not (laughs) You know, we didn't do... You didn't take even more of my time up. But, like, everything about it is just not very good. And that sucks because I wanted... I want to like PFL. I want them to be what they can be. And they just aren't. Like, they don't... They don't do anything well. And that's, like... That sounds really harsh. But I don't think that that's an unfair criticism of them, (laughs) frankly. Like, they... They are positioned to be the second best organization in MMA strictly because they have a deal with ESPN. Like Bellator is on a network that nobody can watch. I literally do not know how to watch Bellator on Showtime. Like I cannot figure out how to do it because I don't have cable and it's just really difficult to get Showtime (laughs) if you don't have cable. So and Bellator has really, really taken several steps back from being a good product this year. Whereas PFL, they have a, a, a product that is easily digestible for casual fans. It's a it's a format that most, especially American sports fans, are really well attuned to. You can tell linear stories about like, ah, you know, Ray Cooper, He his first year in the organization, he came up short in the finals, but then he came back uh, in 2019 and he was a tournament champion. And now, after the break in 2020, now he's trying – to solidify himself as one of the top welterweights. Like, that is a clean narrative story. Like, you can tell that very easily to a casual observer. But everything they do around it blows. Like, this should have been the biggest night of the year for them. And by by definition, it was. It was the championship for 2021 of PFL. This is what the year culminates to. And it went down on a motherfucking Wednesday <laughs> with no one watching. And nobody seemed to give a shit either. Like that was the most frustrating thing to me. We talked offline. I know that you like Sean O'Connell. I don't have, a, I don't have any issues with him. I think he's by far the most competent man in the booths for that organization, but Randy Couture, I, I have never thought was a great asset to a booth. I thought when he first was doing UFC cards, it was interesting because he like had perspective that had never really been involved in UFC broadcasts, but He doesn't have like an enormous amount of personality. He's really content to like not say anything for super long stretches. Um, And when he does, no disrespect to the man, he's like 55 years old. Like he's just kind of old and he's less enthused about things. Like say what you want about Mike Goldberg. And there's a lot to be said about the negatives of Mike Goldberg in a booth. The man always had a level of enthusiasm, he even if he didn't know what the hell he was talking about. And that's something that you need in a commentary booth. Like Kenny Florian, sometimes is enthusiastic and sometimes just says really dumb stuff. And Randy usually says things that are relatively smart. Although yesterday he did question about um, uh, Mavlyan Kabbalayev. Ah, I wonder how those grappling sessions went with Habib. Well, I can tell you, Randy, uh, Habib is 10 pounds larger and substantially better. It's not a thing we need to talk about. <laughs> like, H- uh, uh, Maudlin Habalayev couldn't get Chris Wade out of there. Like, I'm pretty sure he didn't give Habib a run in the gym. Like, it's not tough. You don't need to say things like that to promote. But, like, otherwise, he's normally saying things that are tactically relevant or interesting. Um, but he says it in a way that sounds like he's falling asleep while he's watching the card. Kenny never says anything good. I'm astonished that Kenny Florian is still like present in the MMA sphere. Uh, even after what happened to him that kind of moved him away from the UFC and Sean O'Connell is fine. I think mean, he's competent, but like, he doesn't, doesn't ring true. Like for the love of God, why is Jimmy Smith not in the booth for PFL? Don't understand that at all, but okay. Uh, but there's just, there was no enthusiasm about it. The, O'Connell was the only person trying to like add a little bit to it and saying, yeah, you know, here's the million dollar winner. This thing bells and whistles, like everything should be going off. This is, this is the super bowl of your promotion. And it happened on a Wednesday and it sounded like nobody really cared. Like there has to be a way to make this seem more important because it is important. Like very realistically, Ray Cooper is one of the top 10 welterweights in the world. And he avenged a previous loss in a tournament final with a sensational knockout, and nobody gives a shit because you can't package it in a way that is is digestible and interesting and captivating to audiences. Like it's bad promotion, and it's so frustrating. Am I crazy?
1: I I get I get where you're coming from. Slow night, not a lot of energy. I think O'Connell is great. I think his transition from fighter to And not color commentator, but play-by-play voice, pretty, I mean, he does a great job. I'm with you on the Couture thing. I've always felt that way about Randy Couture. It's just the same voice, the same inflection, the same delivery every single time. Florian brings a little bit of energy because of all those years doing podcasts with John Anik. How can you not have some energy after sharing a microphone with that guy for so many years? But let me ask you this who has which color cut like which color group would you prefer more the the pairing of Couture and Florian alongside Sean O'Connell or John McCarthy, Josh Thompson and whoever the Bellator lead is
3: McCarthy and Thompson strictly because I think Thompson's not not awful. McCarthy is not my cup of tea. I don't think he's necessarily bad, but he he is not that interesting. I think uh Uh, Thompson can get off the rails or say things that I think are very not not in the realm of correct but I think that he he at least has latent personality and certainly John McCarthy has like a latent personality like just you have to be interesting to be in that role or interested you have to be one of those two things because you are the person who holds the hand for a guy who's bored on a Wednesday night and turns on his ESPN app and oh okay I'll see what this is about like you have to sell it. And like, I, I do not think super highly of Joe Rogan, especially over the previous few years. I think what he, but when they brought him in, they brought him in for a very specific reason back at UFC, whatever, like 12 or whatever the hell it was. And it was because he has personality. He had at least some basis of knowledge in the sport and he was really enthused. And like that, he has lost some of those things, but he is still, every time a fight card is happening, he is making it seem like the biggest fight that has ever happened in in the history of the UFC and that's just what you need in that role like you need somebody to be that interesting or interested or invested because enthusiasm is contagious like people people want to watch it if they think that what they're watching is something relevant and important and fun and sometimes it's hard like i get it it is tough to make uh, Mowgli Kabalaya of Chris Wade a fun and interesting fight. That fight blew, but that's the job. And Randy Couture is not ever going to even try because that's not what he is there for. Certainly not in his mind. And Kenny Florian, I just don't think he has the ability to do it. Like I don't, Kenny Florian can only speak in bad hyperbole. And so he can't, he can't make, he can't sell you on a fight being interesting. And it's tough to do that anyway. So like I, get jimmy smith uh like i don't have any idea why he is not currently working it seems like they're bringing in goldberg uh as mike goldberg was at the event last night took a bunch of photos with fighters um hinted on his instagram at, at, unless that's been told it seems to me like they're bringing him in um but like there's just other commentators that you could go out there and and get um who like who brendan fitzgerald is competent i don't think you would necessarily need him because like it's like you said sean o'connell does totally fine as a play-by-play guy but like there are just other people you could bring into a booth that would be worthwhile um at least give them a try find something that fits or that is a little bit better than what they've currently got because that was a huge downer for me last night
1: yeah their color team is, is is not good bring in, I wish, like, I know Laura Sanko is now getting a chance with the UFC, but that would have been a great opportunity to bring her in and get her in the booth, but she's doing on the Contender Series. I think we'll see her be a color voice for an actual fight night event before the year is over. I think they should. I think she brings a, a great sure. energy, and, yeah, they if she's under, like, an ESPN deal, ESPN should absolutely put her in the booth, and she could pull a little double duty. I got no issue with that whatsoever, so obviously the big, yeah, Dan bye.
3: Hardy, Dan Hardy would be fine in there. Too, Frank right? Mir, why is Frank Mir not on a full-time Frank color commentary position? Commentator.
1: Tremendous. But
3: back, back the brink's truck up and uh, get uh dude, all American. Brian Stan, get Brian Stan out there. Like <laughs> Brian Stan is the best commentator the sports ever had. Just be like, Hey Brian, I will give you a lot of money to do this every five Wednesdays a year. <laughs> however many events BFL has. It can't be that many. 10. Events. Just but, 10. 10 times a year yeah, you come out. Ten, 10 times a year you come do this, Brian. Give you a bunch of money. Uh, Drew Gooden, just steal him from the UFC. He's really good at his job. Like There's John just Gooden. a lot better of people than the ones that they have, and that is a downer. And can I tell you the actual thing? Okay, so that I think <laughs> that is the thing that should be fixed the most cleanly. But I desperately want to get in a room with Ray Cepho because I have ideas. I can fix his product or at least help him do better on the things that ostensibly they're trying to do because the smart cage is dumb. We all know this and it's fine, but I think the smart cage is interesting and they're just doing it in a really bad way is the thing like having live, like ongoing live stats actually is like a legitimate addition I believe to the broadcast of like here's a running stack count maybe you don't need to have it the whole time but I think that that's better than the UFC's like once every couple of fights we randomly throw on out Ooh, here's what the striking count looks like Uh, having live like the live odds as they update is pretty interesting but speed of strike, or strike speed, is the dumbest stat I've ever heard. We talked about this on the show a, a few months back, I think. Like It has no context, it doesn't mean anything to say that that punch was 21 miles an hour. I don't know what that means. But if you're gonna do the smart cage, go all in on it. Like, Go all in on analytics, because there is a way to do this. Like There is a way to take, okay, we know that these whatever 16 i don't know how big the tournaments are the eight men eight men and women tournaments these eight fighters are going to fight you know three a maximum of three times in the cage this year in this tournament so we're going to have a day where they come in and we just test the crap out of them like the nfl combine we get a 40 yard dash time we make them throw a bunch of punches at a at like a heavy bag with sensors on it and then we get an average punch strength or whatever you want to call that, that, that thing, we get that out. We, uh, we get them to kick stuff and we do the same thing for kicks. We, we, you can come up with a lot of different stats that maybe aren't registered in any other way. And the end goal for me would be, and I jokingly tweeted this last night, but I actually started thinking about it. I think you can do this is to put a damage bar under each fighter's name, like a video game. And now it wouldn't be a hundred percent correct but from a baseline nobody gives a shit about speed of strike stat so how is that any different from having a stat that is ostensibly true but might not be and no one could ever tell you it was wrong and also means nothing to a damage bar that is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of correct it's definitely not like on the money but it's not awful and at least is like easily understandable by a passing viewer because everybody's seen video games and be like, oh, I'm tuning in. I'm in the middle of the second round and I don't have to hear boring ass Randy Couture and Ken <laughs> flow tell me that uh, uh, Anta Delija or Delija, however you say that dude's name, I would never get it right, is losing this fight. I can look at the damage bar and be like, oh, Delija's like in the red and Cavaloza, he's like in the yellow, so he's probably winning this fight. Like if you factored in all of hey, every time Bruno Capoleza throws a punch, it has an expected damage value of X, which we calculated based on his average punch power and all these things. And you like you can math the shit out of this and make that and then just make a health bar at the end point. Even if you don't do the health bar, I think doing like a expected damage for per strike Or submission attempt I think there are ways to make analytics fun or different to approach it in a way that's novel and would be interesting at least to me but I think ultimately you really could just make a damage bar and it would be fine and it would be awesome and they should freaking do that
1: so would part of the combine be that fighter standing there five months before his first fight and just getting shellacked in a gym and then you just see how tough he is before he goes down
3: you know, I think you can't do the toughness because obviously that sounds bad, but you could do like cardio test. Like you can create an NFL cardio test and, uh, and extrapolate that because like cardio is, is directly linked to recoverability. Um, and so like, there is no way to get a chin level or whatever, but you could frankly just have, you can make that stat up. Like, <laughs> That's true. Oh, the same in the same way that people make that up for UFC video games, like, oh, I've seen Mark Hunt take a crow-cop kick to the dome. That dude has a 99 chin, <laughs> and we call it a day. Like, you just be like, all right, I've seen enough of, of, uh, of Bruno Cabelloza's fights to know that he's got a decent chin, but it's not, like, the best. He's like, we'll call it an 85, and we just factor all this in. Like, you can do this, and you can do it in ways that are interesting or fun. Because, like, also – Nobody gives a shit about the tail of the tape either. Like, okay, I get it, dude. Six one, he's got a leg reach of seventy three inches or whatever the hell it is. Like, I would way rather you have okay, Bruno Cabello is six one. His average expected strike damage is twenty seven thousand psi, or I don't even know how to go with the start of <laughs> the stat. Uh, his cardiovascular ability is three rounds or whatever the hell. However, you want to make it out. This is a great thing. There are no rules to this. You can make these metrics anything you want. And aside from breaking ground and you would literally set the standard moving forward. If you did anything even somewhat competently, it would just be cool. Like it would be very different as opposed to punch speed, which is stupid and means nothing. <laughs>
1: can you, you imagine?
3: Have a, cage, have a freaking smart cage, man. Go all into the analytics boom. <laughs>
1: Can you imagine the reaction to Ray Cooper's knockout if his energy level was in red and it was like blinking like, oh my gosh, he's on the brink. He's on the brink.
3: Oh my God, what a knockout. Like that would have been was, sick. Nope. like you, I, I, Like I said, I said this is a joke last night and I spent most of the night in all of the big long gaps between fights, as we said there were a lot of them, <laughs> thinking about how you could do this. I genuinely believe that there is a way to do this. And it would add something very substantive to to the show. It would be dope as hell. And even when the PFL eventually folds up in a couple of years, like The Ringer, uh, The Ringer, great website, um, they do a lot of like fun long forms. A couple of years ago, they did a, a write-up uh, on the XFL and how the XFL was obviously a failed business plan from Jump Street. But a lot of things from the XFL, the NFL took and incorporated into their broadcast specifically the XFL pioneered the behind the quarterback kind of camera angle for live, live football broadcasts. And the XFL took that from video games because like, that's how you play Madden. you play it from that kind of bird's eye view behind it. And the XFL looked at that and said, we should incorporate that into our product. And then the NFL ever the last man to figure out what's going on was like, Oh, that's good. We'll take that from them. And, the PFL can do the same, like the video games have a damage bar. It is, it it tells a story. It is easy to understand what is going on. Anybody who's played Mortal Kombat or any other game understands what a damage bar is. And it's cool. And so if the PFL did it, the UFC would eventually be forced to do it. And so even if they die or when they die, because the PFL cannot live forever, they will have c- contributed something substantial to the overall sport of MMA give me a damage bar in 2022 pfl <laughs> i am begging you somebody show we're gonna clip this somebody give it to ray Sefo. i will talk to him as long as he needs to i've thought a lot about this over the last 24 hours i am ready to help them build this
1: yes and ray Sefo Ray Steffo has to be behind the scenes. Like, he wants to go there for the face-offs, it's fine, but he should not be at the press conferences answering questions and talking about fighter statuses because clearly he doesn't know because he went on a mic and said to all these journalists who asked him about whether or not it was Ray Cooper's last fight, said, and I quote, I don't know where you get your information from, but this wasn't his last fight. When literally four hours earlier, in front of a PFL background, Ray Cooper went on, went on the MMA hour and said, this is my last fight on my deal. So clearly one of these guys is wrong. And I'm more inclined to believe Ray Cooper in this, in this situation.
3: Maybe, maybe they made a, a new deal in the four hour gap. That's you know? true. I, I guess that's possible.
1: Maybe they did it before um, the main card started. Cause they had plenty of time to
3: negotiate. For firm, firm agree. Ray F.O. Just doesn't need to be the face of the PFL. Cause you don't, cause here's the thing about the PFL that I like. Um, they don't, hate their own fighters, which is cool. Like that's novel um, in the world of MMA where they don't like trash their fighters in, in front of everybody in an attempt to lower their price or whatever. Um, like, I think that they can be a good organization. They, they just need a lot of work and I don't know if they're, I, I have no idea if they're working on these things or not, but yeah, Ray Sefo give me a call because the health bar even if you can't do the health bar, if you just had like advanced stats would be cool because instead of saying Francis Ngannou is the hardest puncher in the world, you can be like, well, the average punch power of, you know, the middleweight division is X and uh, who who's the middleweight? Who's the middleweight who fought last night for them? Um, Shoe face. Who, 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 Oh, Shoeface, Face. And Shoeface's Face's exp- uh, punch power is actually lower than division average. Like, those are at least dumb, weird, interesting stats in the way that stats can be fun these days. So do that. And my last thing on PFL, please, God, get rid of the belts. The, you don't have champions. You have tournament champions. You do not have world title holders. They don't need to be a belt. Belts have... Belts come with weight, and that weight is that they are going to defend that belt. And none of these people are ever going to defend a belt because they're a Grand Prix champion. I hated Bellator doing Grand Prix belts. They're just stupid. Give them a big-ass trophy because that's what they deserve. They deserve a big-ass check and a big-ass trophy. They have won this tournament. They are not the lightweight champion of the world. They are the, light, gr- the lightweight Grand Prix or tournament winner. It is not worthy. It's not a belt. Give them a crown for all the shit I care. Do something other than a belt because it's not – belt means something in combat sports, and it is not what they are because those aren't defended. Give them a trophy. Give them a crown. Give them something else. Give them a big-ass novelty check because that's great, and they should have made that even bigger deal. Like I know that they said million dollars, and that's the tagline, but like – Novelty checks are just always cool. Like, it's always cool to get a novelty check because you won some shit. Give him, give him a novelty check and a trophy, a piece of the aggro crag. I don't care. Just not a belt. Not a belt.
1: An energy bar that explodes. That's the trophy. It just cracks that at the top, and it's like energy exploding out the top. That's, that's yeah. the answer. That would be dope. That would be dope. Kayla Harrison is obviously the face of this organization. She had a big win. She cruised another easy... Season, easy tournament, easy victory, easy million dollars. Now she is the most coveted free agent in the sport, one of the biggest free agents in the sport in a long, long time. My, my gut tells me she ain't going anywhere. Her life has changed quite a bit over the last couple months. I think the PFL, based on what you just said, this format only has so much life on its own. You need stars. You need to be able to build things around these stars. And Kayla Harrison is clearly a star. And she's she's only going to become a bigger star. If I'm the PFL, I'm giving her whatever she wants. You want $5 million a fight? Take $5 million a fight. I'm giving her everything she needs. The UFC ain't going to do it. I think Bellator is going to make a hard sale at her. I think she'll certainly listen. But in the end, in my eyes, I think she's back in the PFL next year. Because why not? Why not take the easy mill When you can get it. And I'm sure she's making damn good money on the road to that million dollars. Do you think she's back at the PFL or do you think she signs with UFC Bellator or maybe BKFC rolls out the Brinks truck? Who the hell knows these days?
3: Uh, I think she's back. uh, And I think they should bring her back for a lot of the same reasons. I think that the PFL should do one really important thing though. One, I think that the PFL, I know that they have not historically been super interested in this. I think with Kayla Harrison, the idea of doing a crossover promotional cross promotional fight with Bellator specifically for this, this reason would be great. I don't think you have to go to it yet. You do have Julia Budd waiting in the wings for Kayla Harrison, but I think, I think she's ultimately going to come back. Like you said, a lot of things have changed. I think the UFC and Bellator will always be there. That, that is not going away anytime soon. And so she can take another year with the PFL uh, to kind of keep keep on keeping on um and honestly with the Pfl she's gonna have more creative freedom she's put her in the booth more they're gonna they're gonna build her more outside of just an in cage product but i think that uh Pfl needs to not do a women's lightweight tournament next year i think maybe you can i mean one they should it's should just if they're gonna do it it should just be featherweight harrison can make featherweight i know maybe it's not her favorite thing to do but let, let's just live in the world where that one of these is a, real, is a sort of real division and the other is not even kind of a real division. So feather, make it a featherweight if you're going to do it. But I think Harrison has clearly just established herself as she's better than everybody. Again, Julia Budd's come over. That is a very interesting fight that I very much want to see and I'm certain we will see it next year. But I think you can just do a bounty system for Kayla Harrison instead. So <laughs> instead of doing a tournament, because think about this. So Kayla Harrison was not the top-ranked women's lightweight in this tournament. I forget who it was. She was the second seed because of the the very dumb way PFL does a point system. Imagine that in the semifinals, Kayla Harrison, who did Kayla Harrison fight? I'm pulling this up right now. Uh, Gina Fabian. So imagine that in the semifinals, Fabian actually pulls off the upset. Like, she does it. And we are all stunned. Never could have believed it happened. Oh, my goodness. That's catastrophic for the pfl in a lot of ways but it's more hilarious if fabian then goes on to lose to taylor gradardo in the finals because then you don't even have the champion of your friggin' tournament it is not even the kayla harrison killer like i know that this is such an outlier because harrison is so much better than everybody else she fights it's not really close but there's a world where that could happen she stumbles and gets hit by a random knee and then she loses in the semifinals and then suddenly you have a tournament winner who really nobody cares about. Because <laughs> let me tell you, Mike, uh, Fabian versus Guardado. that's not the headliner of the PFL championships this year. For damn sure, that is, the un- that is the first fight on the undercard is what that one is. And so you don't need it. Everybody knows that this is just pro forma. So let's just make it actual. Let's say, all right, look, Kayla Harrison has established herself as the best women's lightweight in the world bar none. We're not going to have a tournament. What we're going to do is we're going to bring in, we're going to have people fight her. We're going to have Julia Budd fight her uh, at 145, and it is just a bounty. So if Julia Budd can do it, she's going to win a million dollars because she beats Kayla Harrison. You pay Kayla Harrison whatever because you're paying her. You're stuck shelling out for her now. you the PFL. Like she's not just going to take. Ah, I get a million dollars at the end of the year. I fight three times. You're going to have to open up the checkbook. So you're paying her anyway. Just make it a bounty system. So every woman in the world wants to fight her. Every woman in the world wants to leave the other organization. Yeah, I want to get out of Bellator because I can sign a one-fight PFL contract to try and spike a $1 million payday to cash this bounty on Kayla Harrison's head. It would be awesome. I'd be super interested in it. And it gets rid of this ridiculous tournament that means nothing to anybody. We all know who's winning from day one until she actually gets to collect her big novelty check.
1: Yes. So sign Megan Anderson. Get her over. I know nobody thinks that she'll actually be able to beat Kayla Harrison, but at least people know who Megan Anderson is, and they'll at least be like, oh, well, what if Megan lands a head kick? Could, yeah. could it happen? Like, At and, least there's questions,
3: right? And Megan Anderson would do it. If, if you went to Megan Anderson and were like, hey, so instead of having to sign with PFL – and go through a tournament that you're probably going to win and then be facing her in the finals. You just, you just immediately get a shot at Kayla Harrison and <laughs> win it is it's a million-dollar bounty. Like, if I am a fighter, I know uh, Sean Alshadi tweeted this last night um, when, I forget who, after who, I think it was Shoe Face. After Shoeface won uh, won the middleweight tournament, got his million dollar, and said, "You know, Shoeface was a fringe top fifteen contender in the UFC for a long time. Couldn't really get traction. Signs with PFL, now he's a millionaire. Like, if you're a outlier guy in a division, why wouldn't you bet on yourself to win a million dollars? Let shoot that directly into my veins. Let's shortcut it. Any, any female featherweight in the world, any female 135er who feels like eating a little more, and it's just like, hey." I I would love a chance for a million-dollar payday. My contract coming up with Bellator, with the UFC. I'm not going to re-sign for a six-fight UFC deal. I'll just sign for a PFL for a one- or two-fight contract, and one of those, I might get to spike a mill. Like, I might get to change my life in one night. Hell, yeah, I'm going to do that. I don't have to – there's nothing I have to do to get in line for that. I just get it. Hell, yeah. Do that. Bounty system – pfl change the game make bounties a thing that'd be dope
1: yeah or at least i remember back in the day before i became full-time here at MMA fighting i used to host like music bingo nights around western massachusetts and we would do one game every night where it was like fill up the board and if you could fill up the board blackout bingo in like 50 songs or less you would win the jackpot and every week we would put a hundred dollars in the jackpot and it would build and if nobody hit it yes. we would just keep building it up until somebody finally hit it and we got to a point where it's just like all right this is like 20 weeks in a row there's two freaking thousand dollars in here like whoever just wins this game is gonna get the two grand like just build it up that way pfl put 25 grand like anytime kayla harrison wins a fight just put 25 grand in a pod now we're up to 50 now we're up to 75 like extra incentive and if no one beats kayla guess what she gets the damn money at the end of the season so like you're just um, adding more motivation
3: i'm super into the skins game too that's awesome (laughs) i would love that like let's i think this won't happen and that's what sucks because mma organizations are almost unilaterally against creativity and interesting ideas and thoughts but like the pfo really has a chance to do something fun with kayla harrison and they're not going to i like i have said many times the ufc should do this with well, you know, fighters like amanda nunez and Valentina shevchenko who are clearly just so much better than their contemporaries so like having them fight challengers matters in the historical sense but like doesn't really matter because they're obviously going to beat the shit out of them like kayla harrison it, there's less history to matter about here the pfl's it's an organization but you don't have the weight of being the ufc and having standards to uphold to like let's have fun Because I bet you could pay Kayla Harrison and just ask her, and she'd be like, "I would be super down to do a King of the Hill for one of the PFL events. Like I would fight four women in one night, like, and just bring them in. You bring in another one, you bring in another one. I just run through them and play that game. Like, okay, I'm. We're gonna have Kayla Harrison fight Gina Fabian for a third time, but this time she can't use her left hand." you could do fun, <laughs> interesting things with her that you won't like, they never are going to do. But, like, there are, one, there are only, like, three interesting fights for her in the world in general. It's Julia Budd, Chris Cyborg, and Amanda Nunez. Anything else kind of doesn't, isn't fun. Um And so we're not going to get those. So <laughs> give me something else that's interesting. Be creative with her. Find new ways to, to captivate our interest. Because she is a personality worth noting and worth paying attention to, and I'll watch or I'll watch the highlights. But like, there's a reason that I fell asleep uh, and I, I didn't care about seeing the main event last night. It's because that was it was pro forma. We knew it was happening. It was just a matter of what the time was. And so, hell, even do that. Be like Kayla, if you get this woman out in under five minutes, we will double your salary or do some fun dumb things. Because otherwise. This is just – it's a little too repetitive, and we should we should have fun. The point of the sport is to have fun and to entertain. And PFL is not doing a great job on the entertainment front, so this would be a way to benefit that.
1: You need a wheel, a gimmick wheel. Like there's so many things we can do. Spin the wheel, oh, one wheel. hand behind your back. Gimmick wheel, absolutely. Gimmick wheel, skins, bounties. I mean we just – I think in the last 35 minutes, we gave PFL more time on this show than we've ever given them probably in all the shows combined. I think we just, I don't know if we fixed the PFL, but we certainly improved the PFL. If I take any of these ideas, we have a vastly better product in 2022.
3: We gave them ideas. And look, Ray I seriously, we're going to clip this and I want you to see it because Fight Circus is an awful organization in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, but they're actually a great organization. And I am the world's biggest supporter and proponent of them. And I genuinely believe that I have boosted them, <laughs> boosted them as an organization substantially in the MMA community just because of the fervor of my love for the fact that they're insane but creative. If you, a real organization with fighters that aren't just like the people you know from around town, which is what Fight Circus is, like you, I I could stand you. I could stand you so hard, PFL. Bring me in. Let me let me help you. I want to help you. And if you do it, if you do one of these things, if you do, if you do the health bar, I will watch I will make everyone watch. I'll be the loudest man in the world to get people to watch you. So talk to me, Ray, shoot me a text, slide into my DMS. I have more ideas that we can spitball and we can find ways to improve your product because you can do something with it. And you have a platform that means if you did something good and and interesting, people will watch because they can find it, because it's on ESPN <laughs> and not some bumshackle ass other television network that nobody cares about, which is it's a bad Cinemax, which is itself a bad HBO. So like you're on a real network, you can do things, you have one of the most interesting people in the sport as the face of your organization, please please make 2022
1: fun and you're in florida so you could do any of these things without any and no, no. one blocking you no one's in your way no. just stay in florida don't go anywhere else you just stick in that little hard rock hotel and casino in hollywood florida and you do all your events there in the guitar shaped building like just stay there and do all these crazy things and by the way the health bar and all these other ideas we gave you you could sell all of those you could get all of those things sponsored. So you're making money, too. We get to see cool stuff. The, the health bar brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook? Boom. There's a, a, an extra six figures at least in your pocket.
3: If they make the health bar, I will be really happy, and then I'll be really sad that I didn't monetize that <laughs> myself. Because I'm not kidding, Ray Sefo, I gave I just gave you like a $10 million idea. Like hundred percent that, that is easily marketable <laughs> if you can do it and like i said it's actually not that difficult to pull off if you want to make an effort at it
1: yeah you can sponsor the wheel you can sponsor the skins you can sponsor the bounties you can sponsor it all every spot on the wheel you can monetize every single thing every single thing so food for thought pfl sign kayla harrison do all those things make that money put on an interesting product ray cooper however i don't think we'll be back I think he's going to take some meetings. I think because they're backing up the Brinks truck for Kayla Harrison and some of the other names they're going to have to bring in to make her more interesting, he probably goes on. I'd love to see him in the UFC, but if I'm Bellator Jed, I'm paying that man. I'm getting him in there to fight the Douglas Limas, the Michael Pages, the Yaroslav Amosov's, all of those guys. I'm bringing him in there for that loaded, fun, 170-pound division and just see what he can do against those guys. He's already beat their former champions, so there's a storyline there, beat the beat the bag out of Rory McDonald. Like That fight was not competitive or close. Not all that fun either, but he went in there and just out-wrestled a wrestler, and that was pretty impressive. So, Ray Cooper made a lot of money, made the million, but he's probably going to make a lot more money in the future as well. We talked about the PFL enough. Before we wrap... Very quickly, oh, I go do just ahead. want shout-out yes. to,
3: say, shout out to uh, Ante Delegia and Bruno Capeloza. That fight was actually way more fun than anything yeah. anybody thought it would be. Uh, incredible heart from both men. And, and that's the thing when you're fighting for a million dollars, you're going to see some of these guys who never have a chance in their life to make a million dollars. They're going to leave it all out there. Like you have the foundation of a good product PFL. Let's turn 2022 into something, something real.
1: Yeah. And have fun. Just have fun between the UFC and the fights and fight circus right smack in the middle. I think you, uh, you become a very big deal. That's a sweet spot.
0: That's where you want to be. That's where you want to be. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the US and visit bellator.com/watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the US, so make sure you don't miss it.
1: Speaking of the UFC, they're back on Saturday, UFC 267, very good card. Especially in the US, since we don't have to pay for it outside of a normal ESPN Plus subscription. Uh, we got the two title fights Jan Bohovich, Glover Cher. We got Pyotr Jan versus Corey Sanhagen for the interim Bantamweight title. Islam Makachev versus Dan Hooker, Alexander Volkov, Marcin Taibora. Uh, Lee Li Jing Liang versus the returning Hamzat Shamayef. We got Ankalaev versus Ozdemir. Prelims are fun. But we just watched this press conference, Jeb You didn't watch it, and it's probably a good thing you did, you, that you did not. This is the most uninteresting press conference in UFC history. I mean, literally nothing was said by any of these guys. Uh, Shemaev was probably kind of the most interesting, but nothing new that he didn't say at the media day and in previous interviews. Like, it was just a really boring press conference. Like, you got to bring, if you're going to do a group press conference like that with this card, you got to bring Amanda Hebus in there to like brighten things up a little bit and try to give a little burst of energy to the to the proceedings, because this is just really bad. But as far as a fight card goes, and just being interested in these fights, this especially compared to the cards we've seen this month, this is a really good card, is it not?
3: Oh, it's great. I mean, Bellator just did Bellator Moscow and this is just UFC Moscow masquerading as UFC 267. I mean, the number of Russian fighters uh, is staggering. Um, and Russia makes really good fighters. So when you have a lot of Russians on a fight card, you're probably going to have – it may not end up being the most interesting card, some of how these fights break out, but you're getting class for sure. Um, and this fight card is awesome. It's a great uh, appetizer to 268 next weekend. The fact that it's free, I think that's tremendous business plan from the UFC. Um, and when you told me that the pressure sucked, I was a little shocked because some of the people on this card – like. A lot of these people have some personality. They may not be outsized, but you know, Jani Blacco, he's he the Hangman Tree and legendary Polish power. Like he has sound bites that are usually okay. Piotr Jan is very good at hating Aljamain Sterling, um, and Corey Sandhagen usually has an opinion or two to share. Uh, and Dan Hooker is Dan Hooker is honestly one of my like favorite people to hear speak in the sport. Um, Not because what he says is always genius, but he's an interesting guy and he has views that are fun and he is a funny, he's just a, he's a good guy to get a beer with, I imagine. And so it's a little surprising that the presser is, was lame because like most of these fights matter substantially and the people in them aren't the most boring people. And so I don't really know what it is other than, i guess they don't have to sell a pay-per-view this weekend bud you know (laughs) so they don't they don't have to try because there's nothing to sell it's it's free to view
1: and it was in abu dhabi so you had you know like jose's there obviously and oscar's there and brett akamoto's there so brett was kind of like the ufc pr guy that was like just please ask everybody up on that stage a question please just find something to ask all these people and brett did his best so kudos to him but there's a lot of like local media in there probably aren't that familiar with the storylines, and of course When the UFC is in Abu Dhabi, they have one press reporter that's always like, what's your favorite thing about Abu Dhabi? How great is it to to, to work with the Abu Dhabi government? Like, just... It was just bad. It was just bad. The most interesting part about the press conference is we found out the reason that Bruce Buffer is not going to be there. And it's not a good reason. He's got COVID and he's not going to travel, so he's going to recover. But, I mean, that was literally the biggest revelation out of this out of that whole press conference was finding out why Bruce Buffer won't be there. And we get Joe Martinez on a numbered pay-per-view card. So the 25-year streak of numbered pay-per-view ring, announce, ring announcing calls for Bruce Buffer comes to an end on Saturday, Jed
3: you know uh, i hope bruce buffer is is doing okay um but i will not pretend like joe martinez is not substantially better at the ring announcing job than bruce buffer is like in a world where there wasn't you know this weight to who bruce buffer is uh in the history of the organization joe martinez is obviously better at the job and should have taken over the job a long time ago um but it will never happen and so i'm glad we get him because i'd I like Joe Martinez. I think he is is a really good ring announcer. And so that, that was like a happy surprise. It's not happy because I don't want anything bad to happen to Bruce Buffer. I have nothing against Bruce Buffer. Um, he seems like a fine dude. Uh, I just don't think he's as good at the job as Joe, as Joe Martinez is. So uh, that'll be cool. Um, you know what's not cool? I will. I, there's a lot good about this going on this weekend. But I will say one thing that's awful we, why, why why is it 15 fights man like why that's that's so many fights it's so many of them and it's in the middle of the day during college football like why did we need Tagir Ulan Bakov versus Alan Nascimento like did do we need that it is Alan Nascimento he he lost on the contender series like a year ago we don't need him it's okay if he gets if he goes and fights in a B C or whatever for a while longer. Like we're gonna be okay if we don't have that card on or that fight on the card. And yet here we are, fifteen of them.
1: Yeah, some some questionable matchmaking. There are some good fights on this card. I'm very excited to see the Murphy, Laro Murphy back in there against Makwana Amirkani. Um, we get a uh, Oleg Zaychuk. I feel bad for John Anik this weekend. There's a lot of uh very tough pronunciations. With these names, he's
3: he's he's earning his keep this (laughs) Saturday.
1: He sure is. Uh, I love the main event. I I love seeing two guys who have really had to just dig deep and get their careers back. And we saw with Jan Blahovec came back. He's a guy that arguably the UFC could have cut four or five years ago after his first like four or five fights with the promotion. Comes back, becomes the champion. Glover Teixeira has been in 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 a similar place now in his. Is his 40s has worked and clawed his way back to a point where you could not deny him anymore for a a shot at a world title again. His second opportunity, probably his last opportunity. So let me ask you this. If Glover Teixeira goes out there and beats Jan Blachowicz and becomes the light heavyweight champion of the world, is this the greater comeback story than Blachowicz? Or do you still think Yanni Blacco holds that title?
3: I think it's definitely a greater comeback story. Um, I I don't I, honestly, I don't really view Jan Blachowicz as a comeback so much as I view that like his career. He broke late. He's one of those guys like a Rafael dos Anjos, who he he hit his stride deeper into his fight career than we normally see. Uh, Charles Oliveira, another guy like that. Um, Toshera, I I think if Tashera wins, it's actually like pretty bad for the organization. It's a great story. It's tremendous for Glover Teixeira. Um but. I think there is a world I, I, I ascribe to the fact that Jan Blachowicz is the best light heavyweight in the world. Many people do not agree, but I do. And you can ascribe to that because he has never fought John Jones and been defeated. Glover Teixeira was summarily handled by John Jones. And I don't think there's a person alive who can credibly say that Teixeira, you know, 42 year old Teixeira, because I actually think it's his birthday today while we are recording this. So happy birthday, Glover Teixeira. Um, you're 42, you're objectively not as good at fighting as you were seven years ago when you fought John Jones. Um, and so if he wins the title, I think that casts a real pall over the rest of the 205 division, even if he loses it immediately to Yuri Prajka, which he probably would do. But with Jan Blachowicz as the champion, I, I think it is credible that he is the best 205er in the world and that matters. And he is still a feel good story. Like it would be a great Disney channel moment for Glover, um, to, to win the title, especially if you read, uh, on MMAfighting.com earlier this week, uh, our own Guillermo Cruz had, uh, an article about Glover's journey to America that kind of kickstarted his whole career. If you haven't checked that out, uh, absolutely go read it it is a fascinating kind of look at some of the struggles that I had no idea that Glover faced kind of getting to America um, and then kind of where he's at from there is, is really impressive and like I said Disney Channel moment if he wins but again Lahovic is already in his own Disney Channel you know life right now <laughs> so I I think that it is better overall for him to win it, and if if he does, he, like I said, I don't think it's a comeback for him. I think he is just, he has just hit his stride at a later time in life than most. And that in itself is inspiring in a very different way than Glover coming back from defeat to kind of claw his way back to the top.
1: Well said. I love the Jan Sanhagen fight. I think it's a tremendous matchup. It's like a banger. It's so good. Is this one of those ones that, like, the UFC deep down is hoping Jan wins just because they could do the sterling rematch or at least try again because there's some heat there. Piotr Jan doing a great job planting seeds throughout the week, especially at his open workout doing the the knee to the grounded coach and knocking him on his ass and you know planting those little seeds to to build even more something you'd add to those promotional videos Sandhagen earning a shot back at, at sterling would be a great story too, but I feel like the UFC is Deep down, they, they deep down is kind of hoping Piotr Jan pulls this one off. Do you do you agree with that? Just so we can do some big business or as big a business as we can do for this division.
3: For sure, I, I think even without the business, they are still hoping it because they they've obviously wanted Piotr Jan to be their champion for some time. That's why he got. That's why literally like the day after Sehudo retired, there was no Habib esque. Well, I don't think Sehudo's retired yet. It was yeah, Henry's gone. Uh, Piotr's gonna fight somebody for the belt. I don't know who any dude we don't really care we just want this guy to fight for the title and then it ended up being Jose Aldo Um so I think that they they have a liking for Bjorn and I think obviously they would be better served both because Sandhagen was absolutely demolished by Aldo when they fought like last year I think that was last year it wasn't long ago when they fought Um and Jan has this built in storyline but This is why I said Piotr Jan should not have had an immediate rematch in the first place. One, I believe his loss to Aljamain Sterling is legitimate. He very obviously cheated. It was super intentional, and there was absolutely no reason for him to do it. That is the definition of a DQ. He lost his belt in a valid fashion. He stood over top of the grounded Aljamain Sterling for seven full seconds before throwing that knee, throwing punches and hitting him, and then was just like, I'm going to do the illegal thing now, and did it. He got DQ'd, should have been DQ'd, should have lost his belt, and because he lost, I don't think he should get an immediate rematch. Uh, and as, outside of just for the moral reasons, it is a better sell for him to have this fight because he got to do the the knee-to-the-grounded coach thing at the workouts. There is, like you said, there's that little bit of extra you know seeds that he's planted for the rematch and what they can build behind that promotionally. You can let things cook for a little bit. You don't have to strike while the iron is on fire every time. And I think that this would have been a great opportunity. And so I think we're getting the best of both worlds because th- uh, also this fight is just an absolute heater. Like I think Corey Sandhagen is maybe the most interesting test for Piotr Jan other than Jose Aldo, which he already obviously passed really well. Um, I think Corey Sandhagen can present a lot of interesting trouble for Jan and it's like this is, this is we're getting an awesome fight and if Jan does his job and gets to win then he gets to have a belt and then they get to sell the two belts both men saying that they are the rightful champion um, and a lot of heat there yeah I think obviously everybody wants Jan to win this weekend except for Corey Sandhagen and his family.
1: How risky is this fight for Corey Sanhagen, considering everything he's been up against? He's, I mean, I understand when opportunity knocks, you got to answer the door, but the road at one thirty-five does not get any easier. And if he loses this fight to Piotr Jan, it could be a very long time before he gets back to a title fight. When you have guys like TJ Dillashaw getting ready to fight for a title sometime in 2022, you got Rob Font getting ready uh, for a big fight with Jose Aldo. You got a lot of guys at 135 coming up. How risky is this fight for Corey Sandhagen? Is he putting like everything on the line here? Like If he loses, it could be years before he gets back to a title shot.
3: Yeah, I... Honestly, I did I hadn't even considered it from that angle, but I think you're definitely right. I think if he loses his best path forward is to really hope TJ Dillashaw wins the belt because then there's something there to work with. Uh, but I hadn't considered that at all. I mainly thought this was risky because like, dude, you don't fight pure Jan on short notice. Like that's <laughs> yeah, like an awful that idea. too. And like he, like he's had a month max. Cause I think Aljo pulled out late September. So he's said about a month. And I don't know what he was doing before then. I don't know how conditioned he was, but like there are of all the fighters in the entire sport to fight on short notice. Jan is right near the top of the list of dudes that you don't want to do that against because like you have to be in the best shape of your life and not in the way that it said, everybody says it for a fight. You have to literally be in the best shape of your life because Pyotr Jan will keep coming and keep coming and keep, Frickin' coming. He gets so much stronger as fights go on, and, like, his his output is absolutely insane. I mean, he averages, like, 10 strikes a minute or something like that. Like, that is an, a, a huge output, even at 135, and he, like I said, he's gonna hit the body. He is a ferocious body attacker. I mean, people forget because of the way the al- uh, the Aldo fight went, but what Yan, how Jan really hurt him at the end was, he stood over top Aldo and he cracked kept cracking him with straight shots from the standing position to the solar plexus and Aldo died. Like his insides combusted because Jan puts in work to the body and he just, he keeps coming. He's so good at putting the pressure on and controlling his range and not letting you get ahead in the count as not the dude you want to fight when you only had a month for a training camp. Like, and I get it. Corey Sandhagen, also a high volume, high pace fighter, but like, if I'm him, if I'm his coaches, I mean, at the same time, you're getting a title fight, it's tough to turn those down, especially given that you are coming off a loss, albeit contentious, but that's a tough ask to, to face that dude with the month of camp. It's a tough ask.
1: Yeah, luckily, Sanhagen told Ariel Helwani on the MA Hour that as soon as the fight was booked, he put himself in a training camp because he had a feeling the fight wasn't going to happen and he was going to get a phone call. So good on him uh he wasn't the first phone call i think he was probably the third or fourth but hey listen you're there get this chance get us a path right back to a title fight because who knows it still could have been a long road he probably just did the math because sterling is the champion sterling just submitted him in a round a year ago so it's not like he's the first choice to fight Aljo. so it still could be a long time so maybe he just waited out the pros and cons and the pros won Barely,
3: yeah. I think. I mean, I think you got to take it, right? Like, it's 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 what you're going for. In the whole career, you're looking for a title fight. So when it comes, you probably just have to say yes, even if maybe it's not optimal. But again, and I hope he's right. I hope that he is not telling tales out of school when he says that he put himself into camp. And so he has been having a real training camp because if that's just something he's saying to say, which would make sense and be fine, that's, he might be in for a really long Saturday.
1: Tremendous fight very excited for it. UFC 267 and sixty will have you covered the rest of the week. Jose out in Abu Dhabi just doing the damn thing. Uh, Weigh-ins. Live weigh-ins. So if you're going to hear this probably, I don't know, like sometime Thursday afternoon, 1 a.m. Friday morning we will be live for the weigh-in show. 1 to 3 a.m. is when the 267 prelim uh, weigh-ins take place. Eastern Standard Time, because we're obviously in Abu Dhabi, and then early start time with the cards. So just stay tuned to the MMA Fighting social media pages for when these preview shows and Q&As and all that stuff are going to go down, because obviously we're in a different time zone. So, Jed, we saved the PFL. We talked UFC. Uh, we talked everything we could talk about here. So any final words for the, for the fine folks as you get prepared to... Take a couple weeks off and prepare yourself for the biggest tournament in the history of MMA media.
3: A few things. One, uh, every week on this show, I tell you guys to spend love yourself, spend time with your families. Don't watch whatever awful fight night card the UFC is putting forth. And, uh, you know, leave that to us. Not this week. This week is a tremendous fight card. I know it's 15 of them, and maybe you could skip the first few. But uh it this is what we're fans for are events like this. So enjoy that. Very quickly, my low-key banger of the week, Albert Durev versus Roman Kopolov. Uh Durev is ACB middleweight champion or former ACB middleweight champion, and Kopolov is the Fight Knights middleweight champion. Um, though he has already fought in UFC, lost to Carl Roberson. But that's still a banger of a middleweight fight. Tune in for that. And more important than any of these things because next week i will not be i will not be participating unless i'm called in as a guest judge which i would do honorably and fairly as you see the legal degrees behind the mic i i i am a justice of the peace i can be a justice of the btl if if called upon but assuming that i'm not and so i don't speak to y'all fight circus is back baby next friday And don't care about UFC 268 because Friday (laughs) night from from Phuket, Thailand, Fight Circus is back. I don't even know what's going to go. It's going to be wild, crazy times. The phone booth uh, left-way fight is coming. A whole lot of other shenanigans are coming. We mentioned them briefly because they are my spirit animal. And uh, mark my words, Mike, Heck. next year when the pandemic releases travel restrictions in Thailand, I will be in, in attendance to a White Circus card. If not all of them, I'm going to damn for sure one. Uh, and it's I'm excited. I'm excited for us to get a little bit of anarchy on Friday night, and then we get to watch, may well, maybe the UFC's best on-paper card uh, of the year for UFC 268. So that's that's what i got to say let's go baby fight circus
1: i'm so glad you're on the show because one i mean i would know something about them but you sell it so well like i i wouldn't know about the phone booth left way fights and some of the other crazy but fun it's, ideas they have
3: left-way fight in an actual phone booth <laughs> It's not, it's not a metaphorical, we're fighting in a phone booth. its We're going to put two people in a phone booth, elbows and headbutts illegal. Go for it. Oh, man. It's going to be the best.
1: <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be a busy week next week in the world of combat sports and MMA and all that good stuff. So we are getting out of here. Tournament starts next week. Damon Martin versus Alex K. Lee. What a way to kick it off. And... For the next six weeks it's tournament time here on between the links so jed thank you for top
3: sports.
1: Toughest tournament in sports jed talks to in the books we are done we'll see you next week for the first tournament matchup on the btl championship tourney right here on between the links good night everybody
0: The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov.